Hello, heroes. I'm Evan Rowland. And I'm Hannah Schaefer. Welcome to Design Doc. The Kingdom Argyle a people driven by an obsession to align with the traditions of their ancestors. A people driven apart by the question, how did our ancestors truly live? And so they inhabit their small, antagonistic planet. High above, the Lightbringer casts beams of light across the surface. It hangs in the sky, patient, inscrutable, and filled with religious pilgrims who travel up through the air to walk its silver halls. Below, a focused beam of light shines down on the Temple of the Right. Inside, a cavernous chapel is lit by the flickering lights of thousands of wax candles. The candles send wispy plumes of smoke into the air, which transform the Lightbringer's beam into a sea of dancing shadows. The congregants discover the will of their ancestors by watching the shadows play. To the south of the temple lies Moss Liquor Alley, Argyle's capital city. Once known as the Avenue of the Left, that name has been long forbidden. Though the left reside in the capital in greater numbers, the right reside in its hilltop mansions and carry political sway. Power distributed becomes nothing, they say. Consolidated. It has the force of the Lightbringer itself. At the opposite end of the kingdom, in the shadowed north, is Greymoss, the penitentiary home of the Moss Liquor. In Greymoss, they become beasts of burden, spending their days laboring between the moss-covered standing stones. The Lightbringer does not cast its rays on Greymoss, but the people there see it in the night sky, the brightest star just a million miles away. And they tell each other, Someday, we will walk its silver halls. Last week, we had a proper playtest of the game. We were focused on building a world and getting all the way to character creation within it. We wanted to take what we had learned about the symbol reader and what was working with it and put it to the test of having like a single coherent world created from scratch. So our episode from two weeks ago was all about the symbol reader. And this episode is about our play test using the symbol reader and generating a world and then generating some characters. Part of our preparation for this play test was writing a draft of how character creation should work in Questlandia 2. We wanted to keep a lot of what was working in Questlandia 1. We wanted to incorporate the things that we had learned from doing Noirlandia. And was there something we took from Day of the Man? I forget. Probably. I mean, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's hard to... You make a game and you read games and you play games and then you just are always taking things from... Yeah. Uh, non stop robbery. <laughs> In the original Questlandia, the way you get characters is you build up your kingdom, 
Then you draw a card. The card's number tells you their role in society. Maybe king, maybe hero. Four. Maybe four. <laughs> four is like, yes, I, got I don't a four. know, merchant. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then you're expected to adapt those roles to the kingdom you made. Then you roll a die. That die represents one of six principal drives, which are things like change and progress or love and loyalty. Tradition and preservation. You take those two, you, you take that roll and you take that drive and you just sit it out there. Like, okay, this is a merchant who believes in change and progress. Or I'm a holy person who believes in adventure and wanderlust. And without expanding on them at all, you draw enough of those for everybody at the table to choose one and to still have one left over afterwards. And people choose their characters and start building them out from there. And in Questlandia, that leftover character just gets discarded. It's just to give people some options. Uh, if, you know, that there's this extra character that doesn't strike anybody's fancy. In Noirlandia, that extra character becomes the victim that starts yeah. off your murder mystery. So it's like your, your choice to not play this character literally killed them. <laughs> <laughs> and in the very first versions of Questlandia... That character died as well. Yeah. It used to be every Questlandia <laughs> game started off with a murder. Every at the beginning of every Questlandia one game when we were first playtesting was basically like an SVU episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like bunk bunk. So in working on the new character setup, we tried to think of alternatives besides just a role in society and a drive. Like Maybe adding more things, maybe changing those things. And we didn't have a lot of success. So, I mean, Hannah, do you remember any of the the different things we were trying out when we were brainstorming you know, alternative ways to make these characters? Yeah, I came, you know, one of the things that I had come up with was like, uh, what does your character like you know they are which was some combination of like a trait and a desire or a hobby it was like they're an animal lover or they are kind of going back to some of our first notes about the junk poets and stuff they're an ingredient seeker mm -hmm. they're they're driven by this type of adventure but they just kept mapping too closely to these drives yeah i remember looking at that list and feeling like a lot of them are really cool, but they were also, it's sort of like, why not just make that a drive driven to experience uh, new ingredients and tastes and sensations or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's a good drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, yeah, we kept end up after doing a few different drafts and trying to run through like, what would it look like if we created characters based on these, these set of questions or this set of oracles, we ended up coming back to the drives and the roles, but with something swapped. Well, looking at all those different likes gave a lot of ideas for different desires, for different drives. And so we thought, what if we, we took the drives and made that the long table? In Questlandia 1, that's your role in society, because there's 13 cards, card faces. So there's 13 card faces, 13 different roles in society. 
What if we swapped those and made it so there's 13 different drives and just six possible roles? Yeah, and I mean, we'll be talking more about it, but it had this really interesting effect of sort of reframing some of the... It didn't change the feeling of character creation, which was great because we felt actually really good about character creation in Questlandia 1, um, barring a number of unnecessaries that we'll be omitting. Uh, but we felt really good about that drive and role part. But now it's like rather than generating a bunch of characters where you have many different characters you can play and they'll all sort of have like some of them will have duplicated drives because uh, there's only six options. Now you have actually a limited set of people you're playing in the world with only six options with 13 different possible motivations. So you get this spread of some characters who maybe come from the same place in life, but are, are very differently motivated, which was kind of cool. And we added a new twist to that, which was instead of providing the roles ourselves to spread across every kind of world you made, we made that part of the world setup is coming up with six important roles in society for your kingdom. And so they start off immediately very tied to what your world is like. In Questlandia 1, every game was about, to some extent, like different power structures because the list was set up that way, from peasant at the bottom to king at the top. With with sort of variations of traditional fantasy tropey roles in between, you know, you had a you have a holy person, you have a warrior, you have a minor nobility. Those were some of these roles that we had kind of pre-established. By opening that part up, it seems like, and this is going to take more testing, but it seems like we're going to be able to examine some different kinds of societies and different scopes of worlds by letting players do it. Like you could have a really tight knit one where it's just like, okay, one of the important roles in this society is sister. And another is, uh, actually, I don't know. Maybe that's the only one. <laughs> well, so one thing that's cool about this, and I'm like, so, I'm so excited about this and I hope that it works. Um, and we we went into designing this play test sort of saying like, how much how much can we put in the player's hands without, you know, having that sort of like anxiety inducing, like, I don't know, just make a world, just go, just make some characters, yeah. just go. You're free. The world is your oyster. You're beautiful. <laughs> Everything you say is beautiful. Just go. Um, so we wanted to do, you know, enough supporting of players that by the time you got to this point where it's like, actually, now you come up with these six roles that it didn't feel totally overwhelming. But by the time you've done that, you've actually already done kingdom creation, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about a little bit. And it's really cool because if, I mean, like you just kind of froze Evan. Well, you said sister, so you didn't freeze. You would have had I would have had enough. Said, then yeah. I would have passed the torch. Um, and one thing that's really cool about it is, you know, you can say a really customized role to your society. Like you can be like sifter of the divine sands. Or if you kind of freeze, you can be like janitor. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And like we will find that role in this world. Those should be the same role though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm being redundant here. <laughs> in addition... We did take one technology from Noirlandia, the placing of these characters in the world. So we have this card on the table, 
It has a six that maps to a drive, and it also has a suit. And we took those four suits, hearts, clubs, spades, diamonds, and mapped them to different important locations of your world. And that gives all these characters a place where they they sort of operate, where they come from. Yeah, in Questlandia the first, at some point we're going to need to come up with proper names for these. <laughs> um, in Questlandia 1, we just disregarded the suit on the card. I think we, in the final version, it just says look at the color. Yeah, if it's black, your character is, I, one of them is has fallen on hard times, the other is lucky. I can't remember if it's black or red. Yeah. But in Noirlandia... The suit on the card maps to four districts in your city, and those districts have sort of these tropey noir things, like the outskirts, downtown, the upper crust. What's the other one? Oh, Skid, Skid Row. Row. Yes. And we're not mapping them to any sort of tropey places in Questlandia 2, but we are creating these four districts, just like we're creating this these six unique roles, and your character will... Not necessarily be from one of those places, but we'll have some sort of important connection to that place. Right. So to get those four districts in this version, we build a custom map. Yeah, let's walk through let's walk through the order, kind of the order of operations that we have so far in the game, because I think we've yeah. gotten a little bit out of order and I want everybody to kind of get a grounded sense of like what that process looks like from world building to character creation. All right. Starting one hour before the playtest begins. <laughs> We're freaking out. Yeah. Wanting to lock the door and turn Making off the lights. popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> pretending that nobody lives here because we haven't done enough prep this week and we don't want anyone yeah. to come over. Trying to very softly chew our popcorn under the darkened table. <laughs> so yeah, just imagine that. Just get mm -hmm. yourself in that headspace. All right. So the playtesters smash through the windows. Bing bong. Oh, big windows. <laughs> Some of them are nice enough to ring the doorbell. <laughs> the decoys ring the doorbell. <laughs> so our friends sit down. Mm -hmm. They're like, what are we doing tonight? We're like, good. <laughs> I think yeah. I almost cried in last week's playtest. Because, you know, last week I felt like we had done so much. And I was feeling really good. And then when we actually started to use the symbol reader, it was a little bit uh, lumpy. Like something kind of went wrong. And I, I remember getting like this wave of anxiety of being like, oh my God, is none of this going to work? And it we felt realized that, that you and I had different memories of where, of how we were going to use the symbol reader, like what the, the latest rules were for it, uh, which is like a weird thing. <laughs> to find out in the middle of a play test when one of us is saying the rules and then the other is like, um, I thought we. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I have like, I think I have this really uh, strong sense of like historical revisionism when it comes to rules <laughs> that I don't like and I don't really tell you. Mm -hmm. I just like, I'm assumed that those are not the rules. Yeah. So I think that's what happened. It worked out. <laughs> we, we got to some, to some good feeling rules, but I guess now I. Now I'm not sure if we're remembering that same either. <laughs> so I think that where we left off, we have our symbol reader and we ask, we do this roll of a die that sort of brings us down this branching path, then leads us to a symbol. And we ask the question, what drives the people of this kingdom? Correct? Yeah, that's my memory. And then somebody gives a very surface reading of this symbol straightforward 
you just look at it, it looks like, well, in our game, we rolled a picture of a moon with some stars around it. And the person immediately said alignment. Great. That's the first thing that jumped out to them. That's doing it right. Oh, and then, so after all of this sort of tense setup and stuff and and feeling like we'd finally gotten back on track, out of every possible combination of roles that we could roll to get down these branching paths to lead to a symbol, we rolled the exact same combination of dice that led us again to the moon and stars. Yeah, and we I won was the like, jackpot. what the butts? What the butts? <laughs> Whose butts did this? <laughs> But it was actually good. I mean, that's like the kind of thing you want to have happen in a play test. It's um, really lucky to be able to test the 3% <laughs> chance, you know? So have we actually figured out what percentage it is? You could figure it's, it out. It's about three. Okay. All right. So 3%, that's not the lowest percent. No. No, I can think of a couple lower ones. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, just a couple. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, the question that uh, the other player was answering for this this combination of roles is what troubles the people of this society. And so it was a moon and a star again, and somebody answered the question, how did... Well, we skipped ahead a little, right? Like first, somebody said alignment. And then somebody oh, else Oh, yes, yes, said... I'm getting ahead of expanded on that to answer the question what drives the people of this kingdom they said they are constantly trying to emulate and align themselves with the traditions of their ancestors and that was great that's like exactly that felt like exactly the level that we're going for mm -hmm. in terms of this personal seed of world building then we roll for what troubles them we rolled this moon and stars <laughs> again, again with our three percent odds and uh somebody said you know I see a moon and stars. Which was great. <laughs> it was another very good meaning of this symbol. And another person said, there are many different beliefs about which of our ancestral traditions are the correct ones to follow. And people are sort of as divided as the moon and stars about it. Yeah, there's like one major belief and many competing smaller ones. Which is really cool. Yeah. And we were like, okay. So rolling the same symbol twice totally worked. Yeah, that time. We'll have to do it again. <laughs> yeah. So every 33 play tests, okay. every 36 play tests, we'll have a chance to test that out. <laughs> so we've learned our kingdom's drive. We've learned our kingdom's trouble. Now it's time to make a map. If you've played Questlandia 1, you'll know that the map making tends to be like the it's like the last thing you do. It comes so late in the process. It you... was a stretch goal. Oh, God. Like a stretch goal <laughs> on like a $6,000 Kickstarter. You're like, I don't know. We don't know anything about mm -hmm. anything. Um, and I'm glad. The map ended up being a really important part of the game. But kingdom creation and character creation is just like so long for this game that's supposed to be a one-shot game. Yeah. <sighs> So okay. one of our goals, okay. I know, I know, it's <laughs> We're so trying stressful. Again. <laughs> <laughs> one of our goals was to have this part not feel like it takes forever. So now you jump right into map making. And the only guidance we have here is that we know our kingdom's drive. We know what troubles it. 
and we need to make four locations that map to four different suits. But the suits don't have any meaning. They didn't in this playtest. That might, might change. change. It seems we... like it might be nice to have a little, you know, hearts are community, diamonds are money makers. I think probably that's going to end up making sense because it felt bordering on not enough guidance to just yeah. say, we know these two, you know, we have these two tiny prompts about our kingdom. Now come up with four places. The thing is, whatever we say those are, it's going to limit it a little bit. I know, bit. It's so, it gets so prescriptive. And it is kind of cool the way, way it worked out in this playtest. So as you heard in the introduction, we ended up coming up with these four different locations. And I think the way that it worked was that somebody set a location without really much description of it. And then other people asked questions about the location. And the person who said what the location was wasn't allowed to answer the question until everybody else had spoken. So we, you know, we were experimenting with different ways to try to divvy up these questions and figure out who should be answering them. And halfway through, we just sort of adopted a token system. It was just there's there were four of us. We put four tokens in the middle of the table. Every time you answer something, you pick up one of those tokens and take it. You can't answer anything else until everybody's taken a token. Then we all put them back and we can start over. So our four locations were gray moss, which was described as a bunch of stones covered in gray moss. And that was as much as the original contributor said about it. They weren't allowed to say anything else. Um, until questions were asked that other people answered. There was the Lightbringer, which was described as some sort of like giant technology that focused beams of light down onto the planet. And then, you know, somebody else took a token and was saying, you know, is there tourism? <laughs> and somebody else answers. It's not like they're asking the person who came up with the place. It's just whoever takes the next token gets to answer that question, which was, I think, there's not tourism exactly. They're sort of holy pilgrimages. Mm -hmm. But people sell t-shirts and stuff. So it's <laughs> yeah. kind of touristy. Uh, there was the Temple of the Right, who see themselves as correct. And, you know, this ended up being the place where they commune with their ancestors through these plumes of smoke that sort of dance off of the shadows that are cast by the Lightbringer. And then finally, there was Moss Liquor's Alley, which I think, Evan, you had said Moss Liquor's Alley or Moss Liquor Alley as this place. And everybody kind of was like, okay, that's a little gonzo. Mm -hmm. um, and I think something about this game is really going to be testing, you know, how we can sort of the push and pull of tone. Yeah. What, what we're describing right now is actually the second draft of map making. We tried one thing beforehand where... The question and answer wasn't as distributed. But in the second draft, I say Moss Liquor Alley. It's a gigantic city. And other people have their own questions and answers to use to bring it back within whatever they were hoping. So it was, I think that somebody else had asked, like, what was Moss Liquor Alley before it was Moss Liquor Alley? What was it called before? And somebody said it was like the avenue of the, 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 esteemed, the esteemed avenue avenue of the left. And suddenly it gave this whole new history. And it mm -hmm. seemed like a little bit dark all of a sudden because we were like, okay, clearly the left have lost control of Moss Liquor Alley. What, what happened? And somebody else asked, uh, what was it? Oh, do the right ever visit Moss Liquor Alley? 
And the answer was essentially they own that shit. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up with our map. We drew little, little symbols for each of these locations and a reminder of what suit each one mapped to. And then we turned immediately to character creation. So I know that, you know, we did, it was a little bit lumpy because it was a play test, but I'm curious, I think that this essentially cuts down the world building part of Questlandia. Like I would say that this could be a 30 minute process. I think it definitely could. Like I think it could be much maybe quicker. faster, mm -hmm. uh, which is a huge change. Yeah. I won't say improvement, <laughs> a big change. So that went pretty smoothly. And then it was time to do character creation. So you're a little bit caught up because we already mentioned character creation, where now that we knew these four places, we've actually done quite a bit of world building now, and it's time to propose six roles for our society. So we went around the table and people talked about, you know, gave out a role. There was no description of what it meant. No, we just had to sit just with those titles and, and imagine. <laughs> so do you want to read what the six roles were that we came up with at the table? We ended up with beasts of burden, queens, holy mechanists, puppeteers, temple sweeps, and tourist trappers. <laughs> That's our kingdom. That's that's at least what the important people, <laughs> uh, where they come from. So um, those are mapped to one through six. So we can just report some of the characters that came up as we rolled the dice to get these roles in society and drew a card to get a location and a drive for that character. Mm -hmm. And now with these new drives that we're test running... Because mm -hmm. uh, we've doubled, you know, essentially have doubled the number of drives possible in the game. Right. So we rolled dice and drew cards, and these were the characters that we came up with. We had a queen of Moss Liquor Alley who believes in creative expression or is driven by creative expression. We had a holy mechanist of Grey Moss driven by adventure, a puppeteer of Grey Moss driven by love and nurturing, a beast of burden of the Lightbringer, which everybody was like, ooh. Yeah, how do you get up there? <laughs> um, <laughs> driven by leadership and guidance, and yet another beast of burden, also of the Lightbringer, driven by change and progress. So two beasts of burden. What does it mean? <laughs> up in the Lightbringer. And one thing that was really cool was that as we were drawing these, it was having the same effect that I really love in Questlandia 1, where despite these being randomized, like everybody's like, ooh, you can start to see these combinations and start to imagine them immediately. It sparks the imagination. A queen of Moss Liquor Alley. Which is cool because we already know that these sort of wealthy have overtaken. Yeah, you know, this right? The wealthy right have overtaken Moss Liquor Alley. And is this like a an old queen who's lost her power or a new queen who's dominating the people to the left? And she's, I mean, if she's driven by creative expression, does she want, oh, yeah. and what is, you know, what is her purpose? What is her hope for well, Moss Liquor cooking. Alley? Yeah. <laughs> so all those cards are on the table and people... Just take turns or talk it out and take the ones that spark their interest to play in this world. 
So we ended up, somebody ended up taking the queen, taking the holy mechanist, taking the puppeteer, and then one of the beasts of burden. I think the one uh, driven by change and progress got taken. And we didn't kill the last character. No, not dead, just forgotten to time. Yeah, maybe we'll think of something to do with them. They could be like the character that sort of starts. They could be like the seed of a, the seed of our first, the tutorial character. (laughs) (laughs) Why, hello there. You look new to this city. (laughs) Oh, or maybe like, maybe in every first, because it's always so hard to take the first scene in a role playing game. Like it's so hard to take, like every character's first scene is hard. Uh, and I don't know how we're going to do it in Questlandia 2, but previously characters kind of had spotlight scenes. I don't know if we're going to end up doing that. Maybe it could be something with that character being present as the one who sort of incites this adventure, mm-hmm. destabilizes this norm. You you wouldn't want to play as them because you don't have as much information, but having them as like a, a little bit of a plot starter yeah be nice yeah they had a little npc yeah maybe they die i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so this is getting into some of the parts that are a little bit mushier i think that we want to focus on for next session things that we still feel like are missing i mean the main thing is once you take this card you've decided to be a queen we want to give you some more guidance on how to flesh out that character and make it into something that's playable and who has a name and gives you some good ways to feel comfortable role-playing as them and has a relationship of some kind to the other people at the table, hopefully in a better way than we've managed in our other games. <laughs> relationship building is hard. And, you know, in I think in all of our other games, for the most part, we've kind of said... Now make a relationship with the person to the right and left of you at the table. Right. Say how you're connected. And it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. (laughs) But what if we could make it amazing? Yeah. So one idea that I came up with at the table that I got really excited to try out was the idea of answering the question. Um you know, look to the person to the left and right of you and answer the question, how will you be connected in the future? And I felt like that was pretty cool. Gets... Do you not like it? No, I do like okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> in my memory. <laughs> you ha- you just looked off into space and like hesitated for so long. Just like, how are oh we going to be connected gosh. in the future? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's just you can say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as the other person agrees, you can kind of use that to converge yeah. on your destiny. I will be buying your cat. <laughs> One thing that we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I'd be like, and I'll try to kill you. And then that's it. Because the relationships don't have to be. Symmetrical. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like trying to dodge your attacks <laughs> while buying your cat. <laughs> One thing that one of the players said that I thought was really cool, um, I mean, we haven't wanted this to be a game about like heroes with destinies, but this is these are the in-world stories that we're talking about. And there's some questions about like, are these stories pre-written? Are these books where the story, you know, is being sort of magically generated as the junk poets are 
are dreaming them up or have these things happened? Um, and it kind of plays into the idea of being able to turn to, you know, a page in a book. Mm -hmm. So somebody said that and I was like, ooh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other part is trying to figure out what is a good hook for being being able to jump into role play. And I feel like we had a suggestion at the table for a good way to do that. Do you remember an idea of like, what's a good, oh yeah, yeah. The idea that, um, that you define a frequent thought that inhabits your character's head, a feeling that they often experience and a sensation that's very familiar to them. And the idea of getting sort of a rounded picture of like what it's like to be this person. And I really liked that suggestion because I think it kind of helps to disrupt something that, you know, that Questlandia 1 does that I think a lot of role playing games do where you're like, I'm a paranoid bard or I'm a brawny wizard. <laughs> uh, and instead you can say like, I often think that people are listening in on my conversations. Right, that thought enters my head constantly. The, the essence of you is not paranoid. You are not, you Nobody know. calls themselves paranoid. I guess some people <laughs> some do. Some people do. I'm a little paranoid about that. <laughs> but, but, you know, it can it can be like you're, you're building out your character through talking about their desires or their thoughts or their invasive thoughts even instead of them being the essence of brawn, like me, mm -hmm. for example. Yes, I mean, pure brawn. This is not a real life game. So mm -hmm. I can say that I am the essence of brawn. <laughs> a brawny wizard this is no game <laughs> but you know that's real life not this in-world situation mm -hmm. oh, what was i gonna say <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i know sitting across from me it's I hard know. for you to not be awestruck by my brawn <laughs> i'm just like man i should be working out more this is this is unbalanced um so that would be what defines your character's invasive thought <laughs> or it could just be a nice like you know I frequently experience the sensation of a warm cup of tea in my hands. And that actually gives you a lot about your character and about what they notice and what they do and a starting point for how to set them into a scene and start playing. So in our next play test, we'll be putting that part of the process to the test and hopefully getting into some actual scenes and see how that goes. So we don't actually know what our next episode is going to be about. Yeah, we'll see how the playtest goes. Because maybe it'll be about, you know, leaving town, taking on a new name. <laughs> Hiding from our friends. And their striking sense of disappointment. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think, though, we'll probably be focused on... Uh, I mean, the things that we're focusing on in the design and the next phase of the design are things like relationship building, making these characters have quirks that make them feel like real people, uh, and maybe coming up with some mechanics to be able to actually play out scenes. Weird. Wow. <laughs> Spooky. What do you think about that? Now I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so things like, you know, how do you keep a scene moving along? How is conflict resolved? That's a good guess about what our next episode will be like. And yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Your thoughts and questions. 
This week we we wow, that's really hard to say. I've this tried it a few times. We, I think I'm not. What, what are you trying to say? We received. We received. But it keeps coming out like. So I'm not going to try to cut we it got. out because I don't know how many <laughs> we got. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this week we got some real nice emails um, and <laughs> tweets about uh, the symbol reader. I think that it seems like it's a tool that's resonating with people, and that is great. People want to play with it. <laughs> yeah, we should probably get a version up online that people can actually use yeah, in I can't, games. Not the version. I, it's I've so got nice, to do a. No, I've got to make so a nice. new one. <laughs> Evan doesn't like the symbol reader that he made. I think it's quite beautiful and a striking object. It's even a little bit poopy. I don't know, even in its current form. So we'll get a version of the symbol reader up uh, that people can see and maybe use. And uh, thank you for your nice thoughts and suggestions about the symbol reader. Maybe if you have things that you want us to talk about, that would be a good thought. Episodes you'd like to hear. Mm -hmm. We're gonna start to run out of ideas. Maybe. If you, it's we're we're also approaching the point where you could start thinking about sending us fan art of these weird <laughs> worlds. Just saying, just planting seeds. Just planting seeds. <laughs> so you know, if you want to draw some like hot moss lickers, yeah, yeah, some beasts of I got burden. a beast of burden for you. <laughs> Uh, then our email is designdocpod at gmail.com. So, or yes. tweet to us and the world with your <laughs> weird fan art stuff <laughs> at designdocpod. And we would love all of your Beast of Burden pornography for our personal collection. You can also tweet to us personally on Twitter. I'm a drawn novel. And I'm Hand Bandit, where you can follow me for my frequent brawny wizard selfies. <laughs> I need to follow your Twitter more closely. You're missing out. The Design Doc intro and outro theme was custom created for us by our friend musician Pat King, so thank you, Pat. The Design Doc podcast is hosted by the OneShot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed Design Doc, visit OneShotPodcast.com, where you'll find other great shows like OneShot. OneShot is an actual play podcast where host James Diamato leads a rotating cast of improvisers, game designers, and other notable nerds through a variety of role-playing games. Every month, OneShot plays a new game with a new cast of players. So thanks again to everybody who has been tuning in to our episodes bi-weekly. Thanks to everybody who sent us emails and communicated with us online, uh, and who's left a review on iTunes, because that all makes a difference. And it fills us with determination. determination. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon, heroes.